If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Romans chapter 12. That's where I'm going to start. I will tell you that my, my typical way to preach, uh, back when I was a pastor, um, I did what was called expository preaching, and, and I, would t- I would preach through a book of the Bible or through a section of the Bible, and I would preach pretty much almost verse by verse, but it's basically going through the, the passages and teaching whatever that's teaching. And I liked it as a pastor because... Um, People couldn't get mad at me that I was preaching that subject. I'll give you an example. Um, I was at a church as pastor, and um, some one of the leaders of the church um, ended up having to step down because of some moral issues. And um, I was preaching a series at that point, going through through a book of the Bible. And as I'm preaching through there, the next Sunday, this happened on a Tuesday, and the following Sunday had been planned for weeks that I was going to be preaching on church discipline. And my secretary at the time came to me and said, Brother Dwindle, you, you, you cannot preach this sermon this Sunday. You've got to preach something different. And I said, I think you're completely wrong. I said, here's the deal. God knew this was going to happen way before we did. We've had this series planned for a while, and I've had this sermon planned for a while. God knew it was going to fall on this Sunday. It's the perfect timing to deal with this issue. And we did, and God blessed. And I've seen that happen over and over again in different situations. So that's one reason I kind of like doing that. But uh, today I'm, I'm going to step out of my comfort zone a little bit, and I'm going to be preaching more of a topical message to you. Last week, even though I did a topical message, I took a book, uh, one chapter of the Bible, and kind of walked through it to do that. And that's more my style normally. Today we're going to be looking at quite a few different verses and different things in order to talk about what God expects from us. Um, and I got new contacts this week, and I can't read without these anymore. Uh, so I'm going to be using these a lot. Um, so uh, here, here, we've been talking a lot about the Daniel fast. This past week, um, we, we've been going through it. And I'll be honest, it, I've had a few moments here and there where it was kind of a struggle, uh, where I, I really was craving something that I couldn't have to eat or whatever. But it has been one of the easier Daniel fasts for me. I've been doing this is I've been doing it for six years now, and this one's a little been a little easier for me. And I, I, I'm going to talk about later why I think it was so easy because it has to do with how we're connecting to God and, and what He's doing. In my opinion, but at least that's how it's reflected in my life. Um, but I had a challenge this week. Um, Wednesday. This past week, we had a bunch of people come in from our corporate office up in New York to to where I work, and we had quite a few meetings going over different things and working on some stuff that's coming up, and on Wednesday, they informed me that they would really love for me to go to dinner with them on Thursday night, and originally, they chose the butcher shop, Um, and I called my wife, and I told her that that I'd been invited to dinner with the company. I said, here's the deal. I got two options. I either decline the invitation from these corporate folks that are here or I got to break the fast. And the first thing she said is, well, I'd break the fast if I were you. I'm like, yeah, well, you're not doing the fast, so it's a little easier. Uh, <laughs> but uh, anyway, we talked about it. I started praying about it a little bit, but I ended up sending our pastor a text, and I told him the same thing, told him what was going on. As soon as I hit sin, I'd already been praying about it, but as soon as I hit sin, I went, ooh, I shouldn't have sent that. There's no way I can break this fast. I just can't. I've, been, I've gotten that close. I'm three days away. Why would I break the fast just because everybody else is going to be eating steak? And um, so I said, I still was trying to make up my mind. Am I going to decline the invitation or am I going to go and eat a salad? 
at a steakhouse. And uh, <laughs> I was really debating that. And when I got to work on Thursday, or later into the day on Thursday, I found out they had changed the location to a different place that had a, a salad bar and, uh, and I knew had some good country vegetables. Uh, so we, we moved locations. However, that day happened to be prime rib day at that location. So um, there was about 15 or 16 of us there that went out to eat that night. And I think probably 10 or, 12, 10 or 11 of them all had prime rib. And those that didn't got, get prime rib got steak and shrimp. Um, now, one of them did get some type of fish. But anyway, they all were eating good. And I'm sitting right in the middle of the table where I can see everybody real well. And the people on each side of me and right across from me were all eating prime rib. No, the guy next to me was steak and shrimp, and it was a good-looking steak. I can still smell it. <laughs> it was nice. Uh, but anyway, I ordered the salad bar and some grilled vegetables. And they are actually re- the vegetables were really good. The salad bar, though had a lot of stuff on it that I really like putting on my salad that are not allowed in the Daniel Fast. There was quite a few. So I had, you know, lettuce and tomato and carrots and cucumbers and some kind of fat-free Italian dressing or something. I don't know. Oh, it was a wonderful meal. But I did that. But here's the deal. I wanted... This fast, I mean, I came that close to just saying, forget it, I'm going to break the fast. I mean, I'm almost there. I've done really good this year. God's been speaking to me. I'll keep doing my Bible study. I'll keep doing my prayer. And then all of a sudden, as soon as I hit that sin button, God said, how in the world are you going to stop this easy, this soon, this close to the goal? And I thought about it. I said, so, I mean, what's really the big deal? I have to sit there and watch people eat stuff that I like. I do that all the time. I'm just usually eating the same thing. But it's, you know, it, it really is easy sometimes to talk ourselves into things and justify what we want to do. It's really easy. As a matter of fact, if you think about it, every decision you make, it's because it's something ultimately you want to do, most of the time anyway. It's because you've justified it in some way. And I can tell you, there's a lot of times in my life that I've justified things that I know were wrong. But I came up with good reasons why they were okay. Matter of fact, y'all have heard this story. Any of you that's been here any length of time knows my, my story probably of the fact that my wife and I at one time divorced and then got remarried. And when, we, when, I, when I left her and I was the one that chose to leave, and when I chose to leave her uh, and, and tell her I wanted a divorce, <clears throat> I came up with every excuse in the world. And some of them were pretty good excuses. Things were not great in our marriage, I'll be honest, and she'll admit that. And some of them were pretty good, pretty good excuses, but they weren't the ultimate excuse. They weren't really the truth. Um, but you know what I did? I surrounded myself with people who liked me and who agreed with my story and were able to say with me, oh, you deserve to be happy, Dwindle. You deserve to, 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 to have what you want in life. It's fine. Because today's divorce is so common, it, it's okay. And then... I, got, I started running from God, and then all of a sudden God brought me here to City Church, and he used this pastor to, to, to speak to me and teach me some things. And I got back right with God, and one of the first things God said to me is, Dwindle, you got to get back with your wife. And I kind of looked at him like, are you, are you sure about this guy? No, I'd actually, I went back after her, and by that time she had gotten used to being divorced, and she was having fun, and she didn't want to get back together. 
So I had to start praying like crazy and then and pay her a little bit, and I talked her into marrying me again. <laughs> and uh, no, we, uh, no, but seriously, it took a few months, but we did eventually get back to get married again. And honestly, when we got remarried, I think she kind of did it. If I'm being, she hasn't said this, but it's my feelings is that she kind of got remarried because she knew it was the right thing to do. I don't think she was a hundred percent sold on the idea yet. And then it came along after we got remarried and did what we were supposed to do. Those feelings came back and the obedience came back and we began to see that, yes, this is what God wanted. This is what God needed. And and, and our marriage became better. Um, It's not perfect. It never has been, never will be, because uh, I'm in it. But, um, but we went through that, and, and I was able to justify my sin because I wanted something in my life different. And I wasn't looking for what God wanted. I was looking for what I wanted. And, so, and today, what does that have to do with anything? Well, today I want to talk to you about what God expects from us. Last week we looked at what we should expect from God. I want you to see today what God expects from us. And I want to look at it from a little different perspective. And I'll, to start it out, we're going to look in Romans chapter 12. The first two verses of Romans 12, which are very famous, very famous passage. And I'm sure if you've been around church very long at all, you, you've, you've read and, and, and you've heard, preached on and so forth. But it says this, Therefore I urge you, brothers, and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. And then in verse 2, it says, Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. If you're like most Christians, you want to please God. If you're like most Christians, you want to know the will of God in your life. If you're like most Christians, you want to be able to discover it and and do what he wants because you want to make him happy. And you understand that following his rules and following his guidelines and following his will for your life is actually going to make your life better. I hope you understand that if you're a Christian. And we do that, but, but if we're being really, really honest, sometimes we get tired of trying. Sometimes we get burned out. Sometimes it gets difficult. And sometimes it seems like all those people down the street, they don't even believe in God and they're living a better life than I am. And it's so hard to watch that. And we want want to be able to have what they have and we want to be able to do what they're doing and we want to be able to experience what they're experiencing and and not feel the guilt that we feel as Christians. The truth is, there's a lot of, I know a lot of people who, who didn't even believe in God and when they became Christians, they discovered guilt. They didn't really feel guilty before because they didn't know, they didn't worry about sin. They just did what they wanted to do and didn't care about any of it. And then all of a sudden they, they discovered there's a God who loves them and has a good plan for their life and there are some consequences to the choices we make and they began to, to, to then discover guilt and a lot of them actually ended up going to the extreme of trying so hard to live the perfect life that they get burned out and they want to give up because it's so hard to do it on your own. It really is. See, what we have to understand in the Christian life is that God does not expect perfection of us. We think he does. And we like to go to the verses where he says, be holy for I am holy, or, or where Jesus was, was speaking to the crowd and he, and he said, my, be perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect. And you know what that teaches us? It teaches us that, that God is perfect 
And the only way we can truly get to him is through perfection. But because he knows we're not perfect and we never will be, that's why he sent Jesus to die on a cross so that our sin could be forgiven and we could be in front of a perfect God because he now no longer sees our sin. He sees the blood of his son that paid the penalty for our sin. And here's the thing, if, if we could earn salvation, if we could earn perfection, if we, could, if we could do the right thing all the time, then the death of Jesus would have never been necessary. If we could do it on our own, if we could work our way to heaven, if we could work our way to perfection, if we could work our way to being a good person, then Jesus never had to come to earth because there would be another way. But because we're trapped in sin and because it's our sin nature that we're born with, we have to trust in God to redeem us and make us right in his eyes. So the thing about it is God does not expect perfection, but he does expect you to try. And we're going to look at that in a minute. See, God's aware that there's a gap. He's aware that there, there, there's a distance between his law and our ability. He understands that we're never going to live it completely right. And so therefore he sent Jesus to close that gap. And a lot of us we want to close the gap ourselves because we want to feel more comfortable. It's not fun living in guilt, is it? <laughs> it's not fun knowing that you're doing something that, that's wrong. Um, I could tell you stories about when I was a kid and, and I disappointed my parents when I was younger, even actually even as an adult. I mean, I divorced my wife. I, and my parents loved her more than they did me. But, uh, <laughs> no, but they, uh, they, it broke their heart. But, you know... Here a few years ago, there was a situation with my two boys and some things that happened, and I, it, it broke my heart. And I sat down with them, and I, was, I just tears in my eyes, and I, and I made the comment. I said, I'm not mad at you. I'm just so disappointed. And I remember my oldest son just looking at me and going, wow. And that got him more than anything else I could have said because we don't want to disappoint our father. We don't want to disappoint the one who loves us so much. And so we feel that guilt at times, and we want to, we want to be able to close that gap, and we want to be able to, and some of them try to do it by lowering God's standards. That's what I did when I got divorced. We try to say, but God didn't really mean this. Really, I know his word says this, but really, it's okay to do this. I mean, look, everybody else is doing it. And so we lower our, we, we try to lower God's standards in order to make ourselves feel better. That's kind of what I tried to do Thursday, and I tried to say, God, I can quit the fast three days early. I mean, I've done really good, and I wanted to lower his standards, but he had already committed me to 21 days. I know he didn't commit all of you to 21 days, but he committed me to 21 days, and I couldn't stop. And I'm not going to stop until, I'm even going to cook carne asada for our pastor today and his family, and I'm not going to taste it. And that should be a sin. But some people do it by lowering the standards of God. Some people try to do that, try to close the gap um, by trying to raise their own performance, by saying, I'll try harder. I'll work harder. I'll, I'll do all the things I'm supposed to do. I'll make sure that I don't go to certain places, and I'll make sure I say the right things, and I'll make sure I, I, I talk the right way, and I, and, and I hang with the right people, and we try to work so hard to make ourselves better, and then we get burned out. We already talked about that. And it happens all the time. 
So I want you to see a couple of things, three different things today that, that God expects from us, okay? The first thing is that God expects us to rely on him. God expects us to rely on him. It's, it's very simple. When we try to do it in our own power, we'll eventually get tired and give up. I mean, we do. It's not about us. It's not about our ability. It's not about our knowledge. It's, it's, it's not about what we can or can't do. It's about trusting him to do it in us and through us. He expects us to rely on him and not ourselves. Um, this past week on Facebook I put a, and Twitter, I put a post out, uh, and in it I made, I made one statement that stood out to me and at least a couple of other people. But it said this. It said, i got to stop giving in when I'm supposed to be giving my all. And you know that's true. We have to work harder. Even the Bible talks about that. Even the Bible talks about the fact that, that you show me your, your faith um, without your works. I'll show you my faith with my works. I mean, that, that's there. There are things we're supposed to do. We are supposed to read our Bible. We are supposed to pray. We are supposed to spend time with God and spend time with other Christians. We are supposed to try to grow. There are things we need to do. But understand the real growth does not come through what we do. It comes through the God we're doing it with. The growth comes from him, not from us. So even though it's, it's true that i got to stop giving in because I give in way too easily, I'm going to tell you, last year had the same thing happen at work, I would have broke the fast. Last year I would have said, I'm sorry, I'm going to have some steak and it's with my, and I would have justified it by saying, these people are from corporate. I need to spend some time with them. I need to be able to get them to know me outside of work so they understand what I'm really about. I need for them to be able to inter interact with me well. This is good for my career, and I'm going to go eat some steak. But instead, you know what I got to do? I got to share with several people at the table what I was doing and why I was doing it. And I'll tell you what, that opened up Friday morning in our management meeting at work. Just the, just the management team from our, from our facility sitting there, and, and a topic came up, and they looked at me and said, Duanda, you don't believe that, do you? And I got to sit there and share what I believed about the Word of God in, at work and the faithfulness of God. That don't happen that often, folks. And there's two or three people in that group who do not believe it at all, but I got to share what I believed and why. It's not about me trying harder. It's about me trusting more. We have to rely on him. We rely on him for salvation, first of all, okay? We have to rely on him for salvation. Folks, you have to understand, we've already talked about it, but you do not earn your way to salvation. You do not work your way to good works. You do not work your way to heaven, it doesn't happen, and we're going to read a verse that's going to hit that really hard in a minute. But first of all, I want you to look in Romans 5, verses 8 and 9. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Since we have now been justified by his blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through him? Salvation comes through him. If you have the hope of going to heaven, if you have the hope of forgiveness of sins, if you have the hope of a relationship with the God of this universe, it comes through the blood of Jesus. 
And if you haven't experienced that salvation, if you haven't experienced that relationship with a living, loving God who wants to know you personally and intimately, then you're missing out. And coming to church doesn't get you there. Saying an occasional prayer doesn't get you there. Telling somebody I'll pray for you and never thinking about them again doesn't get you there. Saying God bless to people as you're walking away doesn't get you there. It's polite, it's nice, it's cool, but it doesn't bring salvation. Salvation comes through a personal, intimate relationship with Jesus Christ where we accept the blood sacrifice that he gave for our sins. We have to rely on him for salvation because we can't earn it. He gives it to us freely if we simply believe in him and ask. And then we need to rely on him for righteousness. Now there's a lot I want to say under this point. But we need to rely on him for righteousness. We can't earn it on our own. We can't achieve it on our own. I don't care how, how good of a person you may be. I, I was talking at work. One of the things we talked about Friday morning is I've got a good friend of mine who's an atheist. And I'll be honest, he's one of the best guys I know. He's moral. He, he's kind. He will give you the shirt off his back. All I would have to do is call him right now, and he would drive the hour and a half from where he lives to my house and help me in a heartbeat. He's a Morally, he's a good guy. He's got a good heart. He wants to do the right things. He doesn't believe there's a God, but he does believe that morals matter. And the, the truth is, it's not about how good we are. It's about the God who wants to be Lord of our lives. And it's about his plan for our life and his desire to see us spend an eternity with him. See, there's a difference between independently trying to perform for God versus depending on God and relying on him to live through us. There's a difference. We don't mature into independence from God. You understand that? As you grow as a Christian, you never grow to the point that you don't need God. You never grow so much that now I'm past you, God. I've got it down, and I'm good. You, it just doesn't happen. You, you do not grow to independence from God. We mature by remaining in God and depending on him. And the closer we are to him and the more we depend on him and the more we rely on him, the stronger we become because we know we've got the power of the king of kings, lord of lords, and the only one God there is in the universe that's got our back in everything we face. There is power in knowing and trusting the God of this universe. We have to rely on him. He's not expecting you to perform for him. He's not expecting you to perform so others think you look good. He's expecting you to rely on him so that he can shine through you in everything you do. Not just when you're at church. Not just when the subject comes up. But when he's there 24-7 as part of your life. That's, that's become very real to me during this Daniel fast. I, I went through a little bit of a slump at the end of the year. I, was, I got a little depressed, to be honest, uh, and about some things in my life. 
And, and, and I look at it now and think they weren't even major things. But I was so focused on them that they took me down. And I wasn't asking God to fix them. I was trying to fix them. And it doesn't work that way. In Galatians 2, verses 19 to 21, it says this. For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live for God. I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness could be gained through the law, Christ died for nothing. Again, he's saying what we said a minute ago. If there was a way for us to earn righteousness, if there was a way for us to earn salvation, if there was a way for us to earn a relationship with God, then Jesus didn't need to die. And it was in vain. It was futile. He died for nothing if we can do it ourselves. But we can't. See, before you received Jesus, you were distant from God, able only to know God's commands. You were able to understand God's law, maybe. You were able to read something in the Bible and say, well, he says this, so i got to do this. And that's what we do. That's what we try to do as Christians. Well, the Bible says, and yes, it does. But sometimes we don't want to understand what he's trying to teach us through that law. Because the, the truth is, the law is no longer what governs us. It's now the grace of God which allows us to obey that law through the power of the Holy Spirit. There's a huge difference. We have to rely on him for our righteousness. You now know that Christ and the Holy Spirit lives in you. And so therefore the law is not the ruler anymore. Matter of fact, God says in Hebrews chapter 10, God said this, This is the covenant I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. And then he adds, Their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. He started out saying, this is the covenant I have with them. This is the law that I've given them. And I'm going to write it on their hearts and minds so that they know my law. But then he goes on to say, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. See, it's no longer about the law. He's, he's implanted the law in you so that you can follow it by his grace. And he wipes away the sin, not because of the law, but because of the grace that came through Jesus. So instead of the law being outside you, hovering over you and giving demands, God's placed his law within your heart so the Holy Spirit changes you and he gives you a desire to know him. We talked about that last week and how we have to have that desire if we want to receive those things of God because as we, as we get closer to God, his desires become our desires. Our focus changes. Our understanding of things change. In Ephesians 2, verses 8 through 10, it says this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. He says it's, not, it's, it's totally by grace. There's nothing I can do to earn it. He gives it to us freely. But notice what he said. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. He, he does expect us to do good works. He expects us to do things that we're supposed to do. But God has a plan for your life. 
And he's planned it from the beginning of time. And he's planned your life in order to benefit others and glorify him. We want it to simply glorify us and build us up and let others see us when really it's about benefiting others and glorifying God. Everything in Scripture is about that. If you study the Ten Commandments, they're broken down into two sections. One is how we treat others and one is how we treat God. And that's what it's about. Focus on getting to know God. That's what we need to do. We rely on him for righteousness. We have to focus on getting to know him. Pursue him. Yes, read your Bible. Yes, pray. Spend time with him. Folks, you can't know someone that you don't spend time with. You can't understand their will. There are people that think they know me that haven't talked to me in 20 years. And they still think they know me based on what they knew 20 years ago. Folks, I know I'm still the goofy dwindle I was 20 years ago, but I've changed. I've gotten fatter. I've gotten older. But, but my views have changed on some things too. And there's a lot of things now that I understand that I didn't understand then. And God has a plan for us so that he can produce good works through us. And that's the way it works. Jesus even said that we can't do it apart from him. He said that he's the vine, and if, we're, if we break off from him, we can't produce what we need to. He said in John chapter 15 and verse 4, he said, Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Folks, you're not going to do the good deeds you want to do consistently and effectively until you let him do it through you. When you disconnect yourself from God and you simply go through the motions of doing what you think is right, then it becomes dull and ineffective. Now, don't get me wrong. There's times you need to do what's right because you know it's right even though you don't feel like it. It's not about feelings. And he does honor obedience. He does. He, we see that all through Scripture. But understand that in the end, it's him doing it in you, not you doing it for him. It's about your relationship with him and how close you are and, and seeking him in everything you do. We have to rely on him. And God expects us to rely on him. But not only does God expect us to rely on him in our lives, he expects us to repent to him. Because he knows that we're going to mess up. First of all, if you're not a Christian today, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus it starts with repentance. And what is repentance? Repentance is, is not just saying, oh, I'm sorry. Repentance is not saying, whoo, God, please forgive me for what I did last night. I can't wait till next Saturday to do it again. <laughs> you know, repentance is not, one of the people I talked to this week is, is a Catholic, and he made the joke. I mean, I didn't make the joke. He made the joke saying, yeah, that's a good thing about being a Catholic. We make sure that we go out... That, we go out and do anything we want and make sure we go to Mass and, and ask for forgiveness from the priest, and we're good. I'm like, that's not how it works. You're not understanding your own religion. <laughs> You're not understanding. That's not really what they teach, but that's what a lot of people want to practice. He told me, he said, you know, we're not allowed to drink before we take, uh, before we take communion and do Mass every week. So what a lot of people do, a lot of ca the, the Catholics in his family, is they go to Mass on Saturday night, and that way they can go drinking afterwards. Because if they wait till Sunday, they can't drink Saturday night. So that's how, they, that's how they get around it. Folks, that's not what it's about. 
Now, I'm not saying all Catholics do it that way. I know some Catholics that are godly folks that, that, that love the Lord and, and, and live the Bible. But I'm telling you, this is what this guy confessed to me about his family. But there is a time to repent. There is a time to ask God for forgiveness. He says in 1 John 1, 9, he says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to purify us from all unrighteousness. That verse was written to Christians. That is not a, a, a verse about lost people needing to get saved. That is a verse about people who believe in Jesus, who claim to be a child of God, confessing their sins to God so that he can cleanse them and make them right. If you remember the story, one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible to me is Psalm 51, and I don't have this in my notes, but it just popped in my head. In Psalm 51, David wrote it after his sin with Bathsheba. David went in and he saw this beautiful woman taking a bath on her roof for some reason. I don't know any women that have baths on their roof, but she did. And he's, he looks out there and sees her taking a bath and lusted after her and had her brought to his palace. And he, he slept with her and she ended up having a baby so, or she got pregnant from it. So he brought her husband from war who was battling for his king. And the guy refused to go to his wife, so he, David had the guy killed. And then he married the guy's wife. And then the prophet came to David and pointed at him and told him, David, you're the man. And, and anyway, David realized he had to repent. And in Psalm 51, he did that. And he, he, he begged God in that psalm to cleanse him, to search him, to find all unrighteousness in him, and to cleanse him from all unrighteousness. I can't tell you how many times I've prayed that prayer because I've recognized that I've drifted away from God for some reason. As Christians, when we recognize we have sin in our life, we have to repent. Here's the deal. It's not because you've lost your salvation. It's not to get you salvation. When you repent as a Christian, it's to restore that fellowship that you've broken. He is your father, and he will never stop loving you. He will never stop being there for you. He's just like the, the story of the prodigal son. He's waiting on that porch watching for you, and as soon as he sees you head his direction, he's running to you. But when you sin against your father, it breaks his heart and it breaks the fellowship because he hates sin. So the repentance allows you to come back into the presence of your father and renew that relationship that you had because he will instantly forgive you and accept you as his, as his child. In Acts 3.19, it says, repent then and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped out, that times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Repent so that you can be refreshed. See, we have to, God expects us to rely on him. God expects us to repent to him. And then thirdly, God expects us to rest in him. We can't do it without that. We can't have that peace without being in him. Folks, I would have never made it through this Daniel fast this time had I not been doing the Bible study and prayer. I would have never made it through this Daniel fast. If you only do it just to say, oh, I went 21 days without eating meat. Well, hallelujah. <laughs> it's, not about the, it's not about the food you didn't eat. It's about the time with God. When we fast for real, I've actually done fast in my, several times in my past where it was nothing, either a juice diet, nothing but juice, or even nothing but water uh, for quite a few days. And that's hard. Well, once you get past about the fourth or fifth day, it gets a little easier. But it's still hard. 
And at that case, when that happens, it's not about saying, whoo, look how long I went without food. Or it's not about saying, look how much weight I lost because I didn't eat for two weeks. It's not about that. It's about giving that time that you would have focused on food, giving it to God and focusing on him. And I can tell you this, I've never once in my life did a complete fast that God didn't do something amazing in my life and open up doors that I never saw possible. When we focus on him, it changes us and it brings us peace. He says in Matthew eleven twenty eight, 28, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus says, you come to me, I'm going to take away all, all your problems. I didn't say I'm going to take away all your problems. He said, I'm going to ease you, your mind. I'm going to give you peace. I'm going to bring you rest. Last week, I was able to share with you some things that happened the week before, and I had a very, I had a bad week in a lot of ways, but yet the whole week, I was at peace. Why? Because the whole week, every morning, I would get up and spend time reading the Word of God, talking to God. Every night before I'd go to bed, I was reading the Word of God and talking to God, and throughout the day, I was talking to God and sometimes researching things in, the, in Scripture at different times. My focus became, God, what are you wanting to do in my life? Instead of, God, why aren't you fixing the things that I don't like? <laughs> we find rest when we come to Jesus. In Romans 5, verses 1 and 2, it says this. Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We've been justified through faith and we have peace through Jesus. And through that, we've gained access to God through Jesus. And it says we boast in the hope of the glory of God. We're not boasting in our own abilities. We're not boasting in our own success. We're boasting in God's glory. Because God does things in our lives that we can't control, that we didn't do on our own. There, there have been regrettably times in my life as a Christian where I've turned my focus to me or a situation instead of focusing on God. And I can tell you this, every time I do that, I end up without peace. I'm filled with worry. I'm filled with doubt. And when I do pray, I'm begging, saying, God, why are you letting this happen? God, why aren't you fixing this? But every time I'm living my life focused on God, problems still come. As a matter of fact, I think sometimes Satan attacks you harder during those times. Um, some of the most brutal attacks I've ever had from Satan have been when I've just come down off the mountaintop. But the difference is when I stay focused on God, even though he starts to attack and things are going wrong in certain areas, I'm able to have peace. I'm able to stay in fellowship with God. 
and I'm able to recognize that he's working in my life. This, this last three weeks, God has taught me so many things through this fast. Not because I didn't eat meat. Not because I didn't have sugar. Not because I didn't eat that brownie. Not because I didn't grab one of those donuts that somebody tried to tempt us with today. <laughs> but because I honestly and sincerely was spending time with and seeking the God of this universe who loves me and loves 